Well, amen. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark today. And if you go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, and just join me in a brief word of prayer as you get there. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've already done in our hearts today, Lord. Lord, thank you for uh, the, the testimony that Teresa gave, the, uh, the testimony of what you have done in the lives of those ladies whose lives that she spotlighted, Lord. And, and Lord, we're lifting up, uh, we're, we're, we're lifting up the director, the mother whose uh, 15-year-old daughter ran away, Lord. And, and Lord, we're praying for a good report to come out of that, Father God. I, I don't know what they're going through, but we're lifting them up right now. Lord, that's our sister in the Lord, and, and you've been using her greatly, and we're praying for her entire family, Father God, to be uh, healed and restored and made whole, and, and, uh, and after this time of testing, there will be a testimony of your goodness uh, unto them, Lord. Thank you for the prophetic word you gave us through Dale, Father God. Uh, that's a word that was edifying and encouraging, Lord, and, and we thank you for this wonderful worship that that we were blessed uh, to be led in by the worship team, Lord. And, and Lord, we just avail ourselves to you as we enter into your word. Speak to us, Lord. And uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to convict us, to lead us into all truth, that we might bear much fruit to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, uh, I started last week uh, a series uh called Jesus's journey to the cross and if you remember last week it was uh, the road into Jerusalem uh, this week part two of it his journey takes us through the garden of Gethsemane and that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 14 uh, primarily I'll be starting in the uh, 26th verse but before I do, I kind of want, want to set the stage a little bit. Um, I want this verse to be in your mind as we're going through this passage today. It's a small snippet from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, only the third verse today. And it says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid, hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Uh, I want to put emphasis on that first part. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We know Jesus, he's Lord, right? Son of God, son of man, all authority in his hands. So many great testimonies. We read so many great stories of what he did and the way he changed people's lives. But one thing that we do need to take more consideration in is the fact that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You know, we all, if you live life long enough, you're going to be acquainted with grief. You're going to have to deal with some sorrow. And we have a Savior who knows what it's like. 
Before we get to verse 26, verses 17 to 21, Jesus reveals that one of the 12 disciples would betray him that night. Yeah, we know the cross is coming. We know he's going to overcome the cross and be raised from the dead. But I'm not talking so much today about Jesus, son of God, that divine part that we can't really relate to because we'll never measure up to that. I want to talk about Jesus, son of man today. The humanity of Jesus. The one who can bleed. The one who can feel pain. The one who can feel sorrow. The one who can feel grief. The one who can be betrayed and have to deal with that and process through that. He's telling them this, but that also means he's aware of it. And he's going to have to go through this. He's going to have to experience this. So I want you to think about what it must be like. What if you were in Jesus' shoes in that moment? You got the 12 closest people in your vicinity, and the Lord has let you know one of these 12 that you call brother is going to stab you in the back and betray you. Man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Then in the next few verses, 22 to 25, the Lord initiates the Lord's Supper. And then he informs the disciples that they will all desert him. My goodness, man, the hits just keep on coming. Let's read starting at the verse at verse 26 of Mark 14. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away or you will all desert me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's even telling them right here. He's going to die, but he's not going to stay that way. Here's what's going to happen, but after I'm raised up, I'm going I'm to I'm go ahead of y'all to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said, in fact, emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Even if it means my death, I will not desert you. And we all know what Peter did. But you know what we've glossed over up until this time? That's, that's clear here in this, uh, in verse 31. He's not the only one who said it. Every one of them said, I will never desert you. Now, Jesus is the face of, I mean, uh, Peter is the face of it. And he gets all the criticism, but every one of the disciples said what Peter said. Look what it says. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, everybody say all. And they all said the same. Man, 
Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And I don't believe any one of those men were lying. I believe they were all sincere. They really felt that they knew who he was. They had a bond and a relationship with him, and they could not see themselves betraying him who they knew to be the son of God. And yet they did. And Jesus knew that they would. Let's not just focus on the fact that he's telling them by divine inspiration. Let's think about him as son of man, as representative of us, dealing with these things in the flesh. What it must feel like to go through that. And I know I don't want to overemphasize feelings and everything, but if we're going to really appreciate the cross, we've got to appreciate everything that's wrapped up in the cross experience, including what it felt like for him to experience the things that he experienced on the way to the cross and on the cross. I, I hear a buzz. It's not me this time. Praise the Lord. So this is the night. He has the last supper with his disciples. He makes it known that he's going to be deserted by them, that one of them is going to betray him, and another is going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. And he takes all of this baggage into the next verse, verse 32. He's wearing all of this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, I don't think necessarily this is to teach us how to pray. The disciples already asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he told them how to pray. But the Bible gives us a window into what Jesus is going through in this moment. And and it's for our benefit. I want to first say this cup that he's asking to pass from him is not him not wanting God's will to happen. Remember, Peter said earlier when he said he was going to suffer and die, Peter said, no, far be it from you. You shall not suffer these things. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan, because it's the will of the Father that I go to the cross for mankind. 
And whether you realize it or not, you're partnering with the will of Satan who does not want mankind to be redeemed. And so if it's the will of the Father, then that's the will that counts, Jesus was telling him. And yet that same Jesus is here in Gethsemane, and he's asking, is there a way for this cup to pass from him? How many of y'all know that, that Jesus never sinned? That he operated always according to the will of the Father. He was in the Spirit at all times. And that he knew the will of the Father, and here he is praying. So the fact that he never sinned lets me know that the way he's praying wasn't sinful. Are you hearing me? And I want to make a distinction here. Because he tell, eventually he tells his, his uh, disciples when they fall asleep, I'm telling you, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, there's no conflict between son of God, the spirit man, the son of God and God's will. The conflict is the son of man. The flesh is not wanting to be subjected to what it's got to be subjected to. And I can't help when I read this and I express this to think about all the times in my life, what my conflict was. I'm asking God for another way. Knowing deep down in my heart, God has already marked the path, uh, the path that I should go and knowing full well what he required of me. And the spirit may have been willing, but there was the flesh man in Cornell that did not want to do it. Paul talks about that, that internal conflict. The good that I would do, I don't. That which I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. It's encouraging to me that Jesus not only experienced this, but conquered it, overcame it, and gave us a model for what we're supposed to do when we come into that position. So what does he do? He tells the disciples to wait for him while he prays, and he takes three disciples with him. And it says he began to be greatly distressed and trouble, the weight of the moment, the weight of what's about to happen. He's beginning to feel it. And he expresses it to the three, Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. I, I don't know if I can handle this. Remain here and watch. And then he went and prayed to the Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. 
And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We all agreed earlier, this is the same Jesus that said, my, my meat, my food, my sustenance is to do the will of him that sent me. That's what matters most to me. I don't do anything I don't see him do. I don't say anything that I hear him say. Fully surrendered to the will of the Father. And this is the first time we see him praying to the Father asking if there is another way. Not that I don't, not that he didn't want to die to redeem man, but is there a way to do it apart from what I know awaits me? Beginning on this night and leading all the way through the cross. So this man who's son of God and son of man, full of the spirit, prayed continually, asking the father if there's another way. He's not in sin. He's not in disobedience. He's not being selfish. He's not being whiny. And yet, his father answer to his prayer is no. I want to point that out. It's not because Jesus was a sinner. It's not because he wasn't praying right. It's not because he wasn't in the spirit. It's not because he wasn't in God's will. He expressed his heart but he did it with humility. If there is a way that it can be done apart from the mutilation and the shame and indignity and, and the pain and all the stuff that awaits me, all things are possible to you. Can you make that happen, Father? But, I love this, but as much as I don't want to go through this, if it's your will that I must, then I surrender to your will. And he, by doing that, gives us, he models for us how we should handle those moments. When you're in your Garden of Gethsemane moment, this is his moment. Now, Jesus didn't live in the Garden of Gethsemane his whole life. He had one Gethsemane moment. So if you're living in that moment, that's not healthy. I mean, our lives shouldn't be a constant Gethsemane. Right? So there are some, there are some things we got to do. Maybe we need the forgiveness. We need to forgive like Teresa was talking about. Maybe we're holding on to bitterness and, and, and unforgiveness and some things that we shouldn't be holding on to, some baggage that we need to be letting go. 
And our refusal to do so keeps us in what feels like a constant Gethsemane moment because we haven't surrendered it to God yet. Our will is still alive. It hasn't died yet. We haven't surrendered our will to him. So just because you're going through something doesn't mean it's an indictment against you. Necessarily. It does not necessarily mean that it's an indictment against you. This is the same Jesus where he said that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And he went to the cross and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection is the reason we have hope. Is the reason that we, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the reason that we know we have our, destiny, our eternal destiny is with him in heaven. Amen? So I don't know what you're going through in life today, but I want you to be, I want you to look at this, learn from it, be encouraged by it. Jesus knows what it's like to be where you're at. Jesus has been through worse. And yet, even in the stress, the distress, the abandonment, the shame of everything that he experienced and went through, or in this case, what he was about to go through, He did what he needed to do before God in order to bring himself into oneness. No more doubt. He went in there. I'm not saying he had doubt, but he went in there, the spirit willing, the flesh weak. The flesh needed to be brought under subjection. And he went through what he needed to do in order to bring the flesh under subjection so that once he left Gethsemane, he was single-minded, resolute, no conflict within him. Son of man was surrendered to, to, to son of God, right? And once, the reason I want to park here, we know the victory that the cross brought. For us. But this victory had to happen first. The spirit being willing, the flesh being weak, it had to be, it had to be resolved in him. Once it was resolved in him, in the Garden of Gethsemane, everything else was going to happen. He set his face like flint, and he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured it all. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 say this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted 
as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, what Jesus demonstrates here for us should give us confidence when we go to him in prayer. For some reason, our human nature, we don't want to hear from you if you haven't gone through what we've gone through. Or if you can't understand or relate to what I'm going through, then I don't see your perspective as being valid or something that can help me. Well, we can't do that to Jesus. Because the scripture just says there that he was in all points tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's gone through everything we can go through. He was tested in every way, yet he did not sin. If you've been tested and you sinned, there's grace for you. If you've been tested and you've sinned as a result of that testing, his mercy for you, he can sympathize with what you're going through. He's experienced it. He's felt it. He knows what it's like. And you can experience his victory in your life. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane is near, is really at the base of the Mount of Olives. And there's a press there. And people took their olives there to be pressed or crushed. That's how they got the oil out. And so it's symbolic that they're even there at this Garden of Gethsemane. Because just like an oil, uh, uh, olive gets crushed, or pressed, notice we said oil out, this moment Jesus is getting pressed on. He's getting crushed. He's getting squeezed. And the thing that comes out of him is, what does he do? He turns to the Father. And he pours himself out to the Father. And he lays it out how he's really feeling, what his conflict is, and what he would like the Father to do. But he doesn't just make the demand. You can tell there's humility in it. So his humility pours out while he's being crushed. His trust in the Father pours out while he's being crushed. Are you hearing me? His selflessness is poured out while he's being squeezed and crushed by the moment. Luke says that he was sweating like great drops of blood. I'm not even going to try to name the condition, but that is a condition that happens when you're under great unbearable stress. 
You can be so stressed that blood starts to seep out of your pores. That's an example of, that's a, just to give you an idea of the burden that he was under. But he was squeezed and pressed, and we see how he handled it. Lord Jesus. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask y'all to stand. Because I kind of want to think about this moment here with him being pressed and squeezed to olive press here in that passage in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want y'all to just close your eyes for a moment. This is our God. We're going, by the time we get to Easter, we're going to be talking about his triumph and his resurrection and and all all the blessings and everything that that means to us. But right now we're on his journey to the cross. So this is not quite the victory speech that we're heading towards, but know that victory is certain. I want us to appreciate his journey. Not to look at, you know, when you're on the road and you're traveling. There's benefit in admiring the scenery and the view on your way to your destination. And that's what we're endeavoring to do. Lord Jesus. With his disciples, men who gave up their way of life to follow him, to learn from him, to be his disciples who would ultimately become apostles and begin the propagating of the gospel around the whole world. And on this night, or on that night, all of those guys were going to come up way short. They weren't faithful to Jesus. They scattered and deserted him. One of them conspired to betray him. One denied him three times. Yet Jesus wasn't angry. He didn't kick them to the curb or cut them loose. His mercy abounded toward them even then. His love and grace abounded towards them even then. And even amongst all these guys, even though all these guys fell far short, he still grabbed three of them and said, hey, 
I don't want to do this alone. I want y'all to come. At least be near me and watch, observe. This is a prayer I've got to do. I've got to do this business with the Father myself, but I want somebody here with me in this moment. Pray for me, y'all. But it wasn't their moment, it was his. You know, sometimes there are some situations in life that a quick prayer just won't do. Your soul is so heavy and the, the situation is so it is so difficult that you find yourself spending an hour or hours in prayer because you are distressed. The, the, this thing is too heavy for you. And you are inwardly motivated. You're going to be at this all night. Because everything's on the line for you. And there can be others who love you that are there, they're present, but they're not under the same strain, the same stress, and same trial as you are. They might fall asleep. It's not because they don't love you. It's just, it's not the same for them. But Jesus wasn't mad at him. He went back to praying. And he kept praying until he got peace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not a quitter. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't let your emotions drive you one way or the other. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't take our faults or our shortcomings and just go into condemnation against us. You don't kick us to the curb. You don't just leave us to our own devices. But you love us the same. Even when we're not measuring up, you still love us. Even when we're not measuring up, your mercy and your grace still extends towards us. Even when we're not measuring up, you still are our redeemer. Even when we fall asleep, when you want us to pray, Hallelujah. So if, if you're here today and this message in any way resonated with you, you know, again, I'm going to invite you to just come up to the front. And if there is something that you need to surrender to Jesus, you're in a Gethsemane moment. And maybe you've been there longer than you needed to. And today, maybe you realize for the first time, one problem is you've not surrendered your will to his will. You've asked him to do something for you, but you've not said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
God, if it's not your will, then I'm okay with that too. If that's you, you don't have to bear your soul to me or anything. This is just between you and God. Just come to the front and just say, God, I surrender. I'm giving it to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And anyone else, if you need, if you need prayer, I'm going to ask the elders to come up. We want to be available to you to pray with you, whatever you're going through, minister to you as God has graced us to be able to. We want you to know that the Lord sees you. that he's available to you. And he has already made provision for everything that you need. But the scripture says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're gonna, you need to come to him and lay down what needs to be laid down. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for your commitment to us, Jesus. You obeyed the Father when it was not easy to obey him. Because of your commitment to us, you went to the cross to pay our sin debt that we might be reconciled to God. And Father God, your sons and daughters go through afflictions sometimes. Go through hard times, go through strifes. And it at times feels like their own garden of Gethsemane. I pray that if there is anyone going through that here today and that there is any fear or anything that's preventing them from coming and unburdening themselves before you, God, so that you can minister to them and and give them the peace they need in their hearts to keep pressing on on the path that you have for them. I come against that fear in Jesus' name. God is not giving you that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't let fear control your life. Don't let fear prevent you from stepping out and getting the blessing that God has for you.
Hallelujah. And Father God, we thank you for speaking to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in each and every one of us. Help us to yield to you like our Lord Jesus Christ did. That even when our souls, even in our, in our souls, we don't want to go the route that you want us to go, that, Lord, we will take that to you with humility, expressing the conflict that's in us, but being committed to surrendering to your will and to your way. We thank you so much, Father God.